2: Greetings and good day, and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart, and it's good for all of us to be here. In addition to relativity, this is First Voices Radio. I send you greetings and strength from the east gate of Turtle Island, where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. I'm Teokas and Ghost Horse, and this is an all-native-hosted, all-native-produced First Voices Radio. And Liz Hill is a producer of First Voices Radio. Our studio engineer is Malcolm Byrne. You can hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprouts, Spotify, as well as First Voices, indigenousradio.org for archiving, downloading, and listening. Our first guest and only guest for the whole hour is Dr. Tink Tinker. Dr. Tink Tinker is a Clifford Baldridge Emeritus Professor of American Indian Cultures and Religious Traditions at Iliff School of Theology in Denver, Colorado, He's a citizen of the Wasaji, or the Osage Nation, and has been an activist in urban American Indian communities for four decades. He joined the faculty at ILIF, School of Theology, in 1985, and brought an American Indian perspective to this predominantly Euro-Christian school. Dr. Tinker is committed to a scholarly endeavor that takes seriously both the liberation of Indian peoples from their historic oppression as colonized communities and the liberation of Euro-Christian Americans, the historic colonizers and oppressors of Indian peoples whose self-narrative typically avoids naming the violence committed against Indians in favor of a romance narrative that justifies their Euro-Christian occupancy of Indian lands. Dr. Tinker is the author of American Indian Liberation, A Theology of Sovereignty, published by Orbis Press, 2008, and is author our editor of several other volumes and has written nearly 100 journal articles and chapters for edited volumes. He served on the Leadership Council of the American Indian Movement of Colorado and was active in the 30-year project to rid Colorado of its state-proclaimed Columbus Day holiday, which was finally successful in April 2020. And many of you know that Colorado began the Columbus Day celebration of which the rest of the United States still celebrates. And now Dr. Tink Tinker, I have on board here, George Tinker will go by
0: Tink, if that's what you prefer. That's exactly right. Yes. Okay. George was my father. He's, I'm, he's gone, but I still let him keep the name. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Uh, well, geez, I,
2: I read your bio and I know of your work. I've been reading and I had an old book I had called Defending Mother Earth. And in that, there was an essay that really resonated through me out uh, since 92, I think it was, um, your work with how to see things differently, the language, and and that you've been working so long in in that field. You know, George, I don't like to say we live in two worlds, and I have an elder that's not, not here anymore. His name is Virgil Kilstraight. Maybe you knew him, but he told me- I did me- indeed know him. Very good. And he told me that- because I'm, I'm not living in two worlds. I'm one Lakota living in one world, and that that oh, that helps me. That then I can stop thinking division, because if we're we are who we are, we don't have to worry about all the formulated decolonization that's coming to get us, because that's the why, reason why is that because we know who we are.
0: But I want to welcome you here to First Voices Radio. Thank you for being here. Yeah, and. Uh- the early 90s, it must have been 92 or 93, CeeLo Black Crow's brother, Milo, was in Denver. And he went out and sweat with us. He had been with us at Four Winds. And he gave me a name. And that name was Walks Between Two Worlds. And that fit back then. it fit when I wrote that essay that you read in Defending Mother Earth. I've moved considerably beyond there because... What I was trying to do then I don't think is possible and still maintain our Indian worldview, our Indian values. We have to make compromises to be in that supposed position of walks between two worlds. So I lived into and out of that name. (laughs) I'm thinking along the lines
2: of language and being with those elders and understanding their verbiage so to speak and their perception is i got to know later on the the base or the etymology of our language and the languages that a lot of people aren't really understanding of their own like english and and even the etymology of that which is latin based and when we when i come back to to the etymology of culture For Native people, for me, in the Lakota language, even the sounds mean something. And I would often use, even now, the quantum physics meaning of everything, that they have more than what we hear and what we can have conceptualizing into English. And we're always defaulting to English in order to explain things. Like, we must probably have to do that today. That's
0: exactly right. Albert Whitehat used to talk about. Uh, syllables in Lakota and, and Lakota and Osage are very are very close. The old people actually could understand one another, because the syllables carry the meaning, not not the whole word or the whole phrase, but you have to unpack you know the deep meaning in each syllable. My worry is that we've been so colonized, we've been so compromised by the what I call the Euro-Christian worldview that, that uh, we're having trouble finding our way back, even if we continue to claim some surface level of cultural fairness. You know, we, we still have our culture. Well, yeah, we, we, we have powwows, we dance, we have drums, we sing songs, we, we do beadwork. But the deep structure is fast disappearing, just as our languages are disappearing. And it's really important and critical.
2: I probably say I tended to to encounter this when I would work at the UN and, and make all these speeches, and 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 I begin to see more costume performing Indians. In a sense, they were performing in order to to get their foot in the door. But yet, when I spoke to them, they they weren't as deep as I thought they were. As I saw on the outside, in other words, a regalia became costume.
0: Uh, Yeah, I remember March powwow 15, 20 years ago, Russ Means was here in town. And some young Indian uh, uh, fancy dancer in in his regalia came running up to meet Russ Means because he'd never met him. And, And he was a Lakota guy from Pine Ridge. And Russ greeted him warmly. But then looked at him and said, uh, what does your face paint mean? The guy looked at him kind of blankly and said, what do you mean? What does it mean? It's just my my regalia. (laughs) And, And Russ gently chewed him out and said, don't put paint on your face unless you know exactly what every bit of it means. And I think
2: that has deeper meaning and many people could try to reinterpret that or rationalize it to in the performance of I am Indian on the outside. And I get I get the gist is many people that too want to perform the go to and say, well, I need to explain it to those peoples, the settlers, and I must attain and retain their education. But it seems as you know, every generation we're getting further and further away from being who we really are and i remember the times when i was with grandma and grandpa and there was great a great deal of silence between what they would speak and that was the language the language between what they were speaking and i and then understanding the the western way is like kind of we have to fill in the spaces you know but it was the energy. And then that's what really turned me on that our languages, like your language, Osage and Lakota,
0: is about energy. And so the verbing comes through. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I, I know from time to time, I'm married to a Chicano woman. My wife gets upset with me because you're not saying anything about this. And wow. I'm sitting there letting the words fall where they may, just reflecting, thinking, feeling, feeling the energy of grandmother around us, because that's part of the communication too. Uh, and only recently has she come to understand that that's an important part of it, that the silence is also a part of our language, uh, that we don't always have to be saying things. Uh, I'll say one more thing. I have of late been doing some writing where I'm differentiating between the Euro-Christian worldview and the American Indian worldview in terms of the nature, the deep nature of our languages and the differences. Euro-Christian languages are not verb based, they're noun based. Hence, they are so amenable to abstraction. Everything is articulated in these nominal abstractions. It's so important in German that they capitalize every noun in English isn't that much different from German. Our languages are verbal. As far as I can tell, Anishinaabeg, uh, Lakota Osage, it's about what's going on, what's happening, the concrete action that's taking place and the nouns build around that verbal action somehow uh, to clarify the verbal action instead of the other way
2: around and i think that's that holds true to when i'm hearing you as an older generation is that energy remains because of that awareness and there's a lot of young people that also have this awareness but they're not aware that they have it yes yeah it's subliminal
0: yeah they've picked it up from their parents and grandparents and the old people around them but nobody's actually taught them in a a concrete abstract way, this is language. This is what you're doing, but but I think we need to be more outspoken about that. Let me let me just give you two examples, three examples. The word God, an utter abstraction, that doesn't exist in any of our Indian languages. Although in our colonization, we've gone begun to personify things, words like. Wakonda and Wakonda is short osage for Wakontonka or Wakantanka in Lakota. That's not a person. That's an energy and it's in me, it's in you, it's in the trees out my door and in, in the rabbits which proliferate on our green belt, dropping their droppings on the sidewalk <laughs> wherever they will. Uh, that's Wakonda. That's uh, that life force. Second word, there's no word for sacred. I don't know how many conferences I've been to where politicians from one reservation or another are talking about sacred sites. This site has been sacred from time immemorial. We don't have that word. And Albert was wonderful. Albert Whitehead was wonderful at unpacking what Wakan, and in Osage it's Wakan, means. Wa, that which, ka, has the energy, the power to take life or give life. It's that simple. It's not sacred. That's an utter abstraction in the Euro-Christian language. It means whatever it means. And, And in fact, people have to write whole books about it to explain one person's understanding of what sacred is, just as they write whole books about this thing called God. The other thing I think we have to be really careful about is go back to our stories, back to the old people, back to an understanding of the world before now, and understand that there's no word in our languages for evil. Evil comes with the white man, with the Euro-Christian, with their religion and their understanding of the world. The worst thing you can say about somebody in Osage is, bishi. that's bad. Songge bishi bad dog, or or a tree fell on my car and destroyed it. BG, that's bad. It's not evil. Evil is, again, another one of those nominal abstractions that takes whole books to unpack, and yet when I talk to Euro-Christians about there not being a concept of evil, they cannot wrap their minds around it. What? Evil is so obvious in the world. I mean, evil is what, Vladimir Putin, I suppose, today, uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, what's going on in Ukraine is BG to the nth degree, it's bad, and of course, I'm, I'm tempted to adopt the English word evil, except that we don't have that. If Putin destroys the earth, well, he can't destroy the earth, he can destroy human existence on the earth, that's possible. But grandmother will survive. So it can't be an utter evil. It can only be a momentary BG. And and maybe we'll be gone uh, because of it. But that doesn't make it an evil because it's not about me. You keep taking me
2: back to the times I spent with the older people. Even when I was four, I didn't go out and play like other children. I was always with the older ones who were born in the 1800s because I could feel that energy. And later on, I become began to know, well, how do you explain any native language? In this case, Lakota. And in that case, they said, well, here's how we can describe the energy. Then we describe the motion of the energy. And that's basically ingrained or innate in a lot of native people. But then we got out of that intuitive thinking process. And my mother says this today, she says that, We cannot speak Lakota without intuition. It's always first. Then it got me to think, well, the good and evil or the right and wrong are basically the extremes of not being able to think. And so here I am speaking in a binary language because that's the easy answer without ever having to, I would say, apply practical mystery without having to deem it as sacred that that bird is flying. And then what goes on behind it, that that bird is using the energy of the earth, the wind, in a proper manner, practical to get him around. But yes. we don't know the mystery behind it. And that's why you say yes. that we don't have a word for God. Again, I'm caught up in trying to explain it to the listeners who are, are looking, searching for the wisdom that's missing in their information and their knowledge. Yes. And it's
0: a matter of sensing that energy around you, in all our relatives. I'm one of the thing, one of the things I'm trying to do in decolonizing myself, is to get rid of words like it, and thing. Uh, we don't have that in Osage. There's no word for it. In fact, the pronouns aren't gendered. E, e i is he. She, him, her, uh, even plural, uh, they, them. (laughs) It's wonderfully non-gendered and non-numbered, but there is no it. There's no neuter form, and and there are no words for thing. I don't know a word for object. There's no reification of a non-personhood in in the cosmos, because Everyone has their own personhood. I think that's very revealing sometimes if we are
2: put in a category, and I'm gonna jump here a little bit too, that oh native people, Native American Indians, Indigenous, Aboriginal, First Nations are animists. They they're animate they're into animism. But I understood and understand it that we are not just animisms animists, we are more we're we're including cosmos and everything we're talking about and there's no no division between that so we're drawing in all this energy then the reason why i say this in relational language uh tink is again referring to elders um virgil sitting in auschwitz a few years ago before he passed away is i asked him directly i said uncle is there is there a word for for domination in our language and is quick to say no word no concept that's right our our language is relational and has to relate to all that is present all that is in the energy that goes further than just our head i think partly why you've been working so long in in understanding the language and and even for our young people to, to even give that thought to them, that this is what they have to that you're leaving, that I'm leaving, that everybody's leaving for the young people. And I, I am worried about the younger people too, as, as you are.
0: Yeah, I have a daughter who's 13, uh, in, in my older age, I took in my brother's granddaughter to give her a, a place to grow up when she was four. And I have to say, I, ha- I am worried about that generation. She's struggling to learn what it means to be a Native woman. Uh, she's a different clan than I am. My brother was Buffalo clan, so you know we have to struggle with being both Eagle clan and Buffalo clan in my home. But it's really important to keep her attached to her Buffalo clan, even though she's being raised in an Eagle home. But that business of feeling the world, of experiencing the energy, the life of all around us is part of our fundamental value system of balance everything must be in balance there's no room for domination if you're going for balance if balance is the ideal dominating my wife dominating my kids dominating another nation just cannot be a part of the equation and of course that's what we're seeing in in uh Uh, Eastern Europe, Eurasia today with the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine is the need to exercise domination. But what's going on in Ukraine is exactly what we experienced on this continent for the past 400 years uh, as Euro-Christians exercised their dominion, their domination over American Indian peoples and our lands particularly. Steve Newcomb is the best one at uh, at underscoring that whole history of domination uh, in in his uh, work on uh, uh, the doctrine of discovery, or as he subtitles it, the doctrine of domination, and, and who doctored that discovery? Mm-hmm.
1: A warrior in every way, and he was always listening. A dedication to people's displaced, and he was always listening. If a little birdie flew into his face, he was always listening. And with the spirit of the ways he was always receiving. He said, come with me people, stand up with me people, as one and as equals, let's honor all people. Come with me people, stand up with me people, as one and as equals, let's honor all people, all people, honor all people. listening Dedication to people's displaced And she was always listening And if a lion moved through her space She was always listening And with the spirit of the ancient ways She was always receiving. She said Come with me Stand up with me, people as one and as equals, let's honor our people. Come with me, people. Stand up with me, people as one and as equals, let's honor our people. Come with me, people. Stand up with me, people. As one and as equals, let's honor our people. Come with me, people. Stand up with me, people. As one and as equals, let's honor our people.
2: by Xavier Rudd and the United Nations, and that was part one of the interview with Dr. Ting Tinker from Denver, Colorado, a citizen of the Osage Nation, or Wasaji, and has been activating urban American Indian communities for four decades. He joined the faculty at ILIF School of Theology in 1985 and brought an American Indian perspective to this predominantly European Christian school. And my name is Teokasen Gostor's host of First Voices Radio. And okay, yeah, we'll be listening to the second segment of Dr. Tink Tinker discussing the thoughts of how we ascertain living with decolonization in the context of being true cultures to the earth rather than the anthropocentricity that diverts us from living with the earth. And now, Dr. Tink Tinker. I'm looking at part of your bio, your your leadership, your your ability to bring clarity to to the younger people and keep the doors of debate and discussion open, so to speak. And, and you know, we often say we're looking for models about how to carry on. Is that what you're, you're thinking about? Is that we need a
0: different model in order to carry on? Yeah, I don't uh, so much consider myself an elder as I do accept the label from the community around me. I don't think elders are self-appointed, and and as as one of my Honka brothers, uh, another Pine Ridgers told me 30 years ago, there's a difference between elder and elderly, uh, and, and some of our people are just elderly. I started out, as I told you, trying to hold together that your Christian attachment to Christianity and and traditional Indian ways of being, so I was a part of something called Native American Theological Association in the uh, 80s, late 70s, early 80s. I became president of it, actually. And in one of our meetings, when we were going through a crisis, we had a, uh, a Ho-Chunk elder, who's one of the founders of NADA, sit in with us. And at some point, because he didn't have much to say, at some point, the group asked him to speak. This is Mitchell White Rabbit, a wonderful man. He gave an elder's talk about what he thought we should do. It was pretty clear the group was headed in a different direction. They thanked him for his advice and went on on and made their decision in a different direction. That's the role of an elder, to give our advice and not expect that anyone will take it. (laughs) Give them the freedom to make their own decisions and their own mistakes. So I'm uh, on the Elders Council of Colorado American Indian Movement and of uh, Four Winds American Indian Council both. I'm under no uh, misperception that that's a position of power. It's only a position of uh, advisement. No more than that.
2: That reminds me of of something that I go by too, is like in the traditional way there was and i get this is there was no leaders there were no followers but you walked with everybody you constantly walked with everybody so the group was the leader and it helps me to understand again that the language that we use often we are using it too much in intellectual capacities and not really intelligently employing it so leading to education the types of education from the West is the type I was shown rather than instructive um, that the West gives to you. You've run into that quite a bit in your in your life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We also just have a new constitution in the past fifteen years. It creates for us a government with a principal chief, an assistant principal chief, a national congress, and uh, a national judiciary. Now, we have a really fine principal chief right now. I I love him deeply. He's really good at it. But that structure reflects the colonizer's government, pure and simple. It's not our old form of government. It's a hierarchy, an up-down image schema with layers of hierarchy until you get down to the people. In the old days, the old way, people say, yeah, take... You say there are no bosses in the Indian world, but you had chiefs. Well, the the word was Gallega, and it's white people that translated that to mean chief. In fact, the role of a Gallega was only to reflect back the consensus of the people. Second point, every village had a Gallega, not one, but two of them, actually. And they lived across the road from one another. The Sky Gaega to the north, the Earth Gaega to the south, and they took turns every other day being in charge, like having Hillary Clinton on Mondays and Donald Trump on Tuesdays. Yeah, there's no autocratic power there. Uh, their main job had to do with, you know, dealing with visitors who came in to the village, or with with uh, giving direction to the. Three times a year, buffalo hunt, and they took turns every other day doing that. And of course, they had to be on the same page to do that. I mean, they couldn't say, one of them, we're going east today. And the next day, the other guy says, we're going to go west today, because you end up back where you start. (laughs) So they had to be on the same page. They couldn't be antagonistic with one another. Balance and harmony again, even in governance, yeah, so old people, elders, don't have any autocratic authority in our communities. You know, we're we're not not built that way, not structured that way, not acculturated that way. In fact, in order to be an elder, one has to be a really good listener to hear what the young people are saying.
2: It's incredible. I'm thinking the antagonism. Like I seem to do that a lot to to draw out something. <laughs> and and I'm thinking about well that's good enough for your people, Tink, but that doesn't apply to today's. I mean, we have a whole citizenry of here, um, nearly 400 million people. How's that going to work with us?
0: Well, I I think again that's a long-term consequence of a worldview problem, and I I can't tell you how to fix that. We didn't create the situation. In fact, it comes out of a 2,000-year history in Europe uh, that is hierarchical all the way through from beginning until now. And that hierarchy, that up-down image schema, as cognitive linguists want to call it, means that you're going to create bigger and bigger governments to control larger and larger communities of people. And it's no longer even a community because when I turn my TV on to watch the news at night and see somebody in Washington DC. I don't know that person. That person doesn't know me, wouldn't recognize me if I were on screen, even if I recognize them. That's not community. That's that modern nation state. And it doesn't matter whether it's democratic capitalism or, or thoroughgoing Marxist communist. It's one or another kind of Christian redemptive system that has enforced governments over large bodies of people. The first critical, not a mistake, but destructive move your christians made when they made their first beachheads on North America, or in the Caribbean or South America, was not to convert natives to their religion but to convert our grandmother, the land, to property. That's been really destructive, devastatingly so. They compounded the problem. By then, you take personhood away from grandmother. She's no longer my grandmother. It disrupts our native relationship of harmony and balance with grandmother. But then you grant personhood to some other fictive organization, these giants called corporations, extractive industry corporations. Now, they don't own an acre of land for a home, or 40 acres or 160 acres for a farm. They own 10s of 1000s of acres. And they press the same issue that, that, that those proud boys and other uh, insurrectionists uh, on, on January 6th a year ago, It's my property. I, the corporation, the giant says, can do with it whatever I want. And more often than not, the the judicial system agrees with the corporation as a person. And hence, they can dig up Mother Earth. They can destroy the surface as much as they want and, and make life nearly uninhabitable for human beings and other four-legged relatives, flying relatives, living relatives in that area. Just look at the Alberta tar sands up in, uh, in Canada, where they've disrupted a huge one or 200 square mile area to get it uh, close to the surface tar sands, just so that uh, you and I can drive vehicles back and forth to the store. The, the real error is creating property. So, yeah, my solution is get rid of property.
2: And that takes me to something that may be the current trend is, as you know it, I put an asterisk around it. It's called land (laughs)
0: acknowledgement. If I acknowledge you used to own this land, can I keep it? And then the
2: natives, the younger folks, anybody says, well, land back.
0: Land back is different. I articulate land back whenever I write. I I, I try to remind Euro-Christians. You keep asking, what do you Indians want? That's it, land back. And land back is not about returning property to Indians. I mean, we had it here. Four Winds, where I, I, I used to run a program downtown. Four Winds American Indian Council. We met in an old Lutheran church, which they graciously let us use for 25 years until they tried to take it back and realized it was going to be difficult for them to take it back uh, because it would be a public relations nightmare. But then we got a new bishop in, and that bishop turned around and gave us the property deed to this downtown property, an old church and an old parsonage. What a wonderful thing for them to do, really a wonderful gesture. But it's still dealing with grandmother as property. That's not what land back is. Land back is give me back the relationship to grandmother. Give me back the wholeness of our culture and our language. Our relationship not just with grandmother, but with all the life that grandmother generates. You know, the trees, the grasses, the buffalo, the squirrels, the eagles, and the hummingbirds. The fish and the snakes. All of that those are my relatives. Uh, As the city grows further and further out, to this day, people start poisoning more and more prairie dogs and, and coyotes, killing my relatives, because they impede progress. And of course, that your Christian worldview is rooted in temporality, whereas ours is rooted in spatiality, Hence, land back, with all of its relationships. That's different from a land acknowledgement. I think people have to do the land acknowledgement. It's the littlest thing they can do, but it's almost meaningless.
2: So you would say that land back has more meaning than just, well, if they took it illegally, how could they legally give it back to us? You see, and from what i understand <laughs> even going beyond even going beyond the, the fact that okay yeah land back but what do we natives do with this if there's no language of acceptance the, the language meaning with the meaning without the properties like okay but then we get it back and they often use this against us tink is that but you people didn't have
0: ownership so how could you want the land back? okay here are two more your Christian nominal abstractions, words that don't occur in our languages. ownership and property. that those are made up categories, invented categories that they forced upon us. And just because we didn't have a county seat where we registered our ownership of plots of land across grandmother, doesn't mean they can come in and say, oh, you didn't even have property, so we can create it and and have property. We're not taking anything away from you. We're just creating something new. No, No, they are taking away something from us. They are shifting our worldview, colonizing us into their worldview of the land is a commodity, something to be owned. I was asked in an interview last summer why I kept resisting calling myself a water conservationist and i said if i agree to be a water conservationist i have to commodify my grandfather Ni. i have to put a price on him i have to measure him out in terms of liters gallons or acre feet and put a price on him i cannot put a price on my grandfather's life any more than I can cut up my grandfather into small pieces and turn over ownership of those small pieces to human beings, personals, persons. that's In my mind, property is as bad as one human being claiming the right to own another human being as property. And of course, the Euro Christians did that too. Owning American Indians as slaves even before they own black people as slaves.
2: I often think about, okay, what am I going to do with all my Western education, which is good enough for me to get by in the society? I can go to a place and refer to Lakota, being Lakota that I am, and not have to think. In a a way, because I'm also in participating in recognizing the consciousness of our intellectualist uh, intelligence of like trees and the water and and the midakoi oyasi. But I often think about those who don't know or actually I'm perceiving it as is there an exit strategy from all this binary thinking? Will there be unless there is, you know, the end of it? So all the time. Closer and closer they get to the apocalypse without ever knowing what apocalypse means. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we know from stories told in many different Indian communities that what we call worlds come and go. And this world may be dying out. That doesn't mean grandmother earth dies. She doesn't. But it means human beings die, and we may have to be reconstituted in a new world, Uh, make a new entry into this new world from a wind tunnel, or or maybe some of us will come down again from the Milky Way, from the stars, and, and find grandmother relatively inhospitable Uh, until our relatives help us make it hospitable again. Uh, Is there an exit strategy from this Euro-Christian domination? As far as I can tell, that may be it. And some of us have the job of holding on to those old ways so they can help inform those who come back in a different way. I have no hopes I'm not an evangelist, uh, I have no hopes of converting my Euro-Christian relatives, especially my, you know, I have Euro-Christian students who are one over, they want to do this. I said, okay, your job is to go convince the military industrial complex, convince them that anthropocentrism is bad, convince them that progress and development, that temporality is not the center of our thinking. The place is. You go tell them. And of course, the military industrial complex, the uh, uh, industrial extraction complex cannot survive w- without a work order, without a plan, a temporal plan for production, without a time-oriented way of measuring out how much to pay labor by the hour. Or by the year for the CEO with perks, they can't exist in our worldview. And of course, nor would the climate emergency exist if our worldview still was widespread on the continent. This dominating Euro-Christian. It looks like we're running out of time. Um, <laughs>
2: but you know, I don't feel any uh, like I've lost anything because if I apply it to that concept of time, then it's just that I merely ran out of time, but I really (laughs) haven't lost anything, but it's been really an honor. And just one more thought that you might want to leave with us is um, when I think about the I statements, because I often do this with environmentalists, young, all colors, all cultures is okay. Write it, write it something about yourself. You know, one page, five hundred words or whatever. <laughs> so they're writing, 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 and then they come out. Well, I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I use this example with my mother. She said, "The old people, if you came back, if you came back and talked all about I, they would be on the floor rolling." <laughs> and I came to think that the I in Lakota, if there is such a reference, is a verb. The other side is a pronoun or a noun, the I. So I go back and say, well, what does midakoyoyasi mean? Well, it really means that you relate it to everything. If they weren't there, there would be no you. So therefore, what happens is there is no real word in the old Lakota, not the new Lakota. <laughs> I, I, me, my,
0: mine, and ours, they don't exist. Yeah, yeah. I meet with some uh, former students on a regular basis who are trying to unpack some of these things and somehow we, we got in to talking about self-identity last week and I said, what you all need to understand is that the whole concept of the self is you're a Christian. We, we don't do that because we're communities and com- a word I created, community Communityism, since communism was already spoken for, <laughs> which I've said is just another Christian redemptive system. If there is no concern for that self as an identity, it's always about the community, about the whole, and about my place in the whole and how I contribute to the well being of the whole. My my greatest concern now is not for those Euro Christian students that I taught for 35 years at this graduate school where I taught. My concern is for us and how our young are going to learn to somehow survive the way you and I have survived in, in order to decolonize themselves. Because that process of decolonizing it doesn't stop. You know, I've been involved in my own decolonizing for at least 50 years, since I got out of college anyway. It started in graduate school, little by little by little, and I'm still doing it. And my daughter's generation has a head start, because she hears me talking about it all the time. So she'll be in a better position to do what we've done, I trust. That's my expectation of her. We'll see. From that Wanagi world, I'll see, because I won't be here when she does that.
2: This is good. Thank you so much um, for being here, Tink Tinker. We could do this again. I, I really enjoy this, and it keeps me grounded just to talk with Native people. And whoever hears us will hear us. But this is this is good. Thank you.
0: <laughs> good yeah. to be with you. I enjoy reading your stuff. I catch it regularly. Uh, and I hope we can continue to have conversation from time to time.
2: That'd be great. So, hey. All right. That was Dr. Tink Tinker, who is the Clifford Ballbridge Emeritus Professor of American Indian Cultures and religious traditions at Islay School of Theology in Denver, Colorado. He's also a citizen of the Osage Nation, Wasashi, and has been an activist in urban American Indian communities for four decades. And uh, we joined him uh, on the radio this past few days, and um, quite interview we'll be having him back in the future uh, to look at more of our perspectives as Native people and here in this land called America, but really Turtle Island and other, names that we have for it but i'd like to thank you for joining us here at first voices radio my name is and ghost horse you can hear us hear more of first voices radio in the archives of this radio station and tell us what you think you can visit akantu institute that's pronounced a-k-a-n-t-u institute.org which is founded with a mission of contextualizing original wisdom for troubled times Doksha AK watching Tello. We'll see you next time.